Techniques Once you've decided what zoom level of the Bible to focus on, you'll also need to consider how you want to interact with the passages you're about to study. They're not all mutually exclusive, and you're not locked into a single technique. Consider mixing and matching them to find a style that works for you. Incorporating Prayer Bible study is one of the two ways we can hear from God. By adding prayer into the mix, Bible study becomes a two-way conversation we can be more involved in. Here are some ideas about how to make it work. Before studying. Take some time to touch base with God before you begin your study. Let Him know what's on your mind. What are you hoping to learn? What questions do you have? What kind of guidance or insight are you looking for? Why did you pick this subject? What about it do you find interesting or confusing or inspiring? By taking the time to talk to God and ask Him questions before we study, we give Him the opportunity to answer us while we study. While studying. Prayer and Bible study don't have to be separate, neatly compartmentalized activities. One doesn't need to end when the other begins. Consider continuing the conversation as you read through the scriptures. If a certain passage confuses you, ask God about it. If it encourages you, thank Him for it. If it reminds you of something in your own life, mention it to Him. This kind of back and forth with God might feel strange at first, but if you're willing to give it a try, you might discover that it adds depth and meaning to what you're studying. After studying. Another great time to talk to God is immediately after you've finished your study session. Everything you've just read will be fresh on your mind, and it's a great time to bring up any questions you still have, scriptures you found meaningful, lessons you learned, or thoughts you have. Thank God for any insights He gave you into His Word, and talk to Him about what you want to study next. Taking Notes Research has repeatedly shown that taking notes while studying provides a whole host of benefits. As we rephrase concepts in our own words, we force our brains to re-encode what we're learning. That simple act makes it easier to store and recall information, even if we never go back and look over the notes themselves. When you're taking notes, include questions. Sometimes you'll come across the answer later. Other times you'll need help finding the answers. Remember, your notes don't have to be profound to be useful. Don't stress over whether something is important or insightful or interesting enough to write down. Just write about the things that jump out at you. You can move verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, or even chapter by chapter. There's no wrong way to go about it. Summarize passages in your own words. If you're reading a story, write about what's happening as you move from paragraph to paragraph. If you're reading poetry, write about the imagery and what you think the intended message might be. If you're reading an epistle, write about the lessons you're learning and how you can apply them, and so on. Consider setting aside a dedicated notebook for your Bible notes. It can be as simple as a generic one-subject school notebook, or it can be something fancier, whatever makes it special and useful to you. Studies also suggest that, since many of us can type faster than we can write by hand, typing is actually worse for retaining information than writing by hand. It's easier for our brains to switch to autopilot, whereas writing by hand forces us to slow down and process things more intentionally. As an added bonus, note-taking allows us to revisit our previous studies. In addition to rediscovering past insights into the Bible, we might also discover insights into ourselves. What we were thinking about at that point in our lives, what we found important, what we might have missed, and how we've grown since then. Marking your Bible If you find the idea of physically writing inside your Bible a little intimidating, you're not alone. 
There's a real sense of permanence when it comes to marking any book, the Bible especially. But there's also a big benefit to marking your Bible. It's a process that transforms a generic Bible into a unique, one-of-a-kind study resource personalized just for you. To get started, all you need is a plan and a few materials. An archival-quality, bleed-proof pen will allow you to write notes that won't fade with time or bleed through your Bible's thin pages. Sakura's Pigma Micron pens are a popular choice. For color coding, many people either use colored pencils or highlighters. Just make sure to get a dry or gel variety of highlighter to avoid page bleed. If you want to keep things neat, you can also use a ruler or a lined piece of paper held behind the page to keep your writing straight. Here are some Bible marking techniques you might be interested in using. Margin Notes If your Bible's margins are wide enough, or your handwriting is small enough, you can make notes directly beside, above, or below passages of Scripture. Margin notes are great for summarizing difficult passages, commenting on how a particular verse applies to your life, adding relevant historical information, or including extra cross-references to other related verses and Bible stories. Color-coded highlights. When it comes to highlighting, underlining, or outlining scripture, you'll benefit from having some kind of system. If you just use one color to highlight every verse you find interesting, it won't be long before your whole Bible is that same color. Instead, it's helpful to plan ahead and assign certain colors to specific topics. The topics and the colors are entirely up to you, but here are some sample topics to get you started. The nature and character of God and Jesus Christ. The nature and character of Satan. Laws. The kingdom of God. Advice for Christian living. Prophecies. And Sabbath and holy days. Symbols. There are recurring themes and concepts in the Bible that you might not want to dedicate an entire color to, but you'd still like to recognize at a quick glance. That's where symbols come in. By assigning a symbol to each of these concepts, you'll be able to draw the symbol beside, above, below, or even directly on the relevant words or verses as you come across them. For example, you might draw a tiny sheep in the margins whenever the Bible talks about sacrifices and offerings, or A with an arrow pointing to a B whenever you find an example of cause and effect. Here are some examples. Words spoken by God. Words of emphasis or conclusion, like behold, therefore, thus says, etc. The house, temple, tabernacle, or dwelling of God. The church. Geographical locations, like Eden, Babylon, Jerusalem, etc. Comparisons, like whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls in Proverbs 25, 28. Contrasts, like Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid, in Proverbs 12, verse 1. Cause and effect, like, if a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked, in Proverbs 29, verse 12. Lists, like the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Fulfilled prophecies, future prophecies, money, relationships, blessings and curses, offerings and sacrifices, and mercy, grace, justification, and salvation. If you're doing anything more than marginal notes, it's essential that you create something to remind you what your chosen colors and symbols mean. You might have them memorized today, but there's no guarantee that will still be true months, years, or decades from now. Creating a legend is easy. On an index card or on an opening page of your Bible, draw each color and symbol on its own line. Then, beside each one, write out what it represents. This way, 10 years from now, 
you'll be able to open up that same Bible and remember that you used blue squiggles to mark passages about baptism or underline prophecies in orange. You can see an example legend in the print version of this book. Just reading. There's a lot to be gained from deep, intensive Bible study, but there's also something to be said for simply reading the Word of God. No notebooks, no lexicons, no commentaries, no maps, no reading plans or list of objectives. Just you and the Bible. In our more intentional studies, it can be easy to get caught up in the details. What this Greek word means, what historical events were framing that verse, the parallels and connections between one passage and the next. Sometimes we can get so focused on those details that we can miss the forest for the trees. The Bible is a story. The most important story ever written, to be sure. A story that stretches from before creation itself on into the vast reaches of eternity. The true story of how God is growing his family, the reason for our very existence. But it's still a story. And stories are meant to be read. As much as the Bible demands close and careful analysis, it also demands to be appreciated as the exciting, profound, comprehensive, sometimes tragic, always hopeful, world-shaking, life-changing, empire-ending, universe-altering story that it is. Sometimes it's worth putting aside the act of studying so we can enjoy the simple act of reading. The trees are important, yes, but so is the forest. Every now and then, take some time to step back and appreciate it. Just listening, or reading aloud. Most people tend to engage with the Bible in a written form, reading the words of its pages in their own heads. That's a great way to study God's Word, but it's not the only way. In fact, for most of human history, books and scrolls have been hard to come by. It wasn't until Johann Gutenberg popularized the printing press in the mid-1400s that books started to become a common thing. For centuries, God's people gathered together to hear God's Word read to them by Old Testament priests, in synagogues, and eventually in church congregations. Today, you don't have to wait for the weekly Sabbath to hear more of the Bible, but you do still have the ability to listen to it. There are many free audio versions of the Bible available online and on phone apps, but you don't even have to use those. You can just read the words out loud to yourself. But what's the benefit of listening to the Bible instead of reading it? When we read silently, we tend to move as fast as our eyes and brains can go. We might miss words, we might miss tone, we might miss intent, we might miss all sorts of things. But speaking the Bible out loud happens at a much slower pace. When we're talking, we can't rush through our words if we want to be understood. Just like taking notes slows us down and forces us to think about what we're studying, listening helps us to see the words of the Bible in entirely new ways. We begin to notice things like the pacing and flow of the story. We begin to think about how Bible characters would have said certain things. We start to analyze and explore aspects of God's Word that are easy to miss when the reading is happening in our heads. Comparing Translations It's often notoriously difficult to find the perfect English word to convey every nuance of the Bible's original Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. But because the Bible has been translated so many times by so many people, there's a lot to be gained by examining how a variety of teams translated the same passage. Not all translations are equally reliable, but comparing translations can offer valuable insight into the shades of meaning present in a specific word or verse. This doesn't mean every translation is right in its interpretation, but discovering a variety of interpretations might prompt you to start a topical or word study of your own. Some Bibles will include footnotes that will warn you when a verse is noticeably different in other translations. 
For example, in the New King James Version, Proverbs 18.24 begins, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. While the Amplified Version renders it, The man of too many friends, chosen indiscriminately, will be broken in pieces and come to ruin. Those are two very different thoughts, but both translations hinge on a single Hebrew word, raha, Strong's number H7489. Comparing translations prompts us to ask why when we encounter situations like these, and learn more about God's word in the process. Bible journaling. Bible journaling is a relatively recent trend in Bible study, and if you enjoy expressing yourself creatively, it might be a useful tool in your Bible study toolbox. While there's no hard and fast definition of Bible journaling, the most common approach involves choosing a verse or passage from the Bible, then creating a piece of art inspired by that passage. The twist is that you'll create the art on the actual pages of your Bible, while leaving the text still readable. Wide margins are helpful for this. Luckily, many translations of the Bible can now be found in a wide margin journaling edition. The kind of art you create is up to you. Some people enjoy lettering, that is, focusing on presenting words as art, some people prefer making small little doodles in their margins, and others like to fill the entire page with an eye-catching scene. A quick online search for Bible journaling will give you hundreds of examples of each method, as well as a handful of guides. The way you journal in your Bible is entirely up to you. The key is basing it on Bible verses, passages, stories, or scenes that you find meaningful and impactful. The art you produce doesn't need to be museum-level quality. Just the act of producing it is the important thing. You'll get better as you go, but more importantly, the entire process will give you valuable time to focus on the Word of God. On that note, Bible journaling can be a great aid for meditation. The act of creating art offers you time to think and reflect about what you're creating, and when that art is centered on the Bible, all the better. Note, although Bible journaling is a new term, the act of adding pictures to the text of the Bible is anything but new. The oldest complete Hebrew Bible, the 11th century Leningrad Codex, features 16 pages of ornate geometric art with Hebrew script running throughout. Many other ancient manuscripts, the 9th century Book of Kells, the 8th century Lindisfarne Gospels, the 12th century St. Alban's Psalter, also feature detailed illustrations to help emphasize or illuminate the text. Not every bit of imagery in these illuminated manuscripts is something we should try to replicate in our own Bible journaling. Saints with halos, depictions of Jesus, and angels and demons even some elements borrowed from paganism are on display in these works. We should be careful to avoid anything that could break the second commandment. The point here is that the practice of adding illustrations to the Bible is nearly as old as the Bible itself, but we should be careful about what we choose to illustrate and how we choose to illustrate it. <laughs>